Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Let's get to Manpreet Gill, head of FICC strategy at Standard Chartered Private Bank, FICC. That's fixed income currencies and commodities. Manpreet, uh, we're looking at a big pullback in the price of crude oil. We were down more than 3% today in New York, and I think the market is really braced for the Iranian supply that we've been talking about as a result of progress that's being made toward a, a renewed nuclear deal. Do you think is, this is going to have a significant impact right now? Uh, morning. Uh, well, in, in the short term, possibly, yes. I think on oil, we're looking at factors on, on both the demand and supply side. So, of course, the potential for a deal uh, would brighten the, the supply outlook, uh, which has been one key constraint for oil markets uh, over the past past several months. Uh, but I think that's coming at a time when there are also concerns about the demand side and just to what extent that might weaken uh, if Chinese data remains weak and, and, and you know, recession indicates in the U.S. continue to flash uh, some warning signs. Uh, but you know, we know that oil is a volatile commodity. And in the bigger sort of scheme of things, unless we're looking at a massive sort of demand contraction, um, you know, there's not been a huge amount of flexibility on the supply side. So, you know, in the short term, uh, you know, momentum is to the downside. You know, we're looking for you know, a move potentially all the way down to, to technical support around $82. Uh, but looking on a little bit longer term than that, though, we're still, um, you know, looking for a slow and gradual grind higher uh, because, you know, it's a sort of a very sort of disparate short and long term outlook. But I think that's really feeding through to short term concerns versus longer term demand supply balance that we think still remains uh, relatively on the tighter side. Manpreet, when it comes to these recessionary concerns and I guess the risk of over-tightening by central banks as well, is it kind of a cure, I guess, these these recessionary fears for reining in inflation? Well, it's one part of it. I mean, when you think about demand-led inflation specifically, uh, you know, at one level, yes, the, the one way to bring down inflation is to cool demand. And that's what we've seen central bank policy do through cycles. Um, but I, I, I sort of caveat with two factors this time. I think one is that a large part of what we're seeing is still, you know, uh, driven by supply side Um where addressing supply side constraints is more important than necessarily bringing out bringing down demand. Um, and second is, look, we, we've, it's about slowing demand, whether that leads to just a growth slowdown um, or a mild recession or something deeper. Those details can still be quite important from a market perspective. Um, and, and that's the reason why, you know, you know, some of those indicators are flashing warning signs. Uh, but for us, you know, we, the way we're dealing with it as investors is more to take a balanced approach between equities and bonds and not sort of shift our, our allocation to one, you know, excessively bearish extreme. Is it clear to you at this point that we're seeing a major downshift in global growth? I mean, I'm looking at the export data, not just Japan, but Singapore. The numbers we got today were above forecast very quickly. 
But I think it really depends where. I think some of the growth slowdown in China is well known. And over there, I'd really be looking much further in the future about where policy might take growth from here. I think in terms of the growth sort of risk, it's, it's the U.S. where I sort of keep a close edge because some of the data, like you said, is strong. But forward-looking indicators like the yield curve are sort of sending some warning signals. I think that's where we need to really gauge how far the growth slowdown may go and how we respond as investors. So you're saying here a preference for Chinese equities, which hasn't changed after that surprise uh, cut from the PBOC on Monday. Just tell us why you're still upbeat, even though we've got these very strong concerns about the continuing slowdown in China. Well, if anything, I think that the rate cut, you know, feeds into part of the feeds into why we're still constructive on, on, on the market. So if we think about Chinese China, I think the big perspective that matters here is that we see China at a very different point in the economic cycle to, for example, the U.S. I mean, the U.S. central bank policy is tightening in an effort to slow down the economy, while China's clearly seems to be closer to a trough, given how weak some of the economic data is. Um, but at the end of the day, economic data, you know, sorry, financial markets are ultimately trying to, you know, discount the future. And where we take encouragement from is the fact that policy, the direction of policy is ultimately uh, into, towards supporting growth, towards sort of trying to put floor under that and trying to sort of bring stability. And when you think through from a cyclical perspective, I mean, yes, the recovery in economic data, the growth data itself usually takes time. Uh, but as long as policymakers are successful in achieving that, uh, usually equity markets tend to discount that ahead of the fact. And of course, that comes against the backdrop of valuations that, that we think are quite undemanding. So, uh, I think, no, no, no doubt, some weak economic data, but I think it's the direction of policy. That's really quite key to our view. Yeah, but look at the COVID situation, right? And the adherence to this COVID zero policy, the administration or the leadership is adamant about that. And look at the new credit data for the month of July, the slowest pace since at least 2017. So it seems to me that under the surface, that confidence is collapsing. Well, some of those are, are challenges, absolutely. But I think COVID is a great example of where, look, it, it's a challenge, it's a risk that we need to continuously keep an eye on. But at, at the end of the day, you know, how much more of a negative surprise is that coming, uh, you know, from a market perspective, at least? Because similar to what we've discussed in the US, at the end of the day, it's less about the absolute, but more about, uh, you know, what the actual events sort of stand up versus, you know, what markets expectations already are. And the thing with COVID is, look, we've seen sort of new challenges, but we've not seen a return of the broad lockdown that we saw in Shanghai, you know, a few months ago, for example. And a lesson we've learned from, you know, previous lockdowns is the, you know, elsewhere in the world, if you go back to 2020, the first round lockdown, of course, a big shock to the economy, uh, but subsequent ones, obviously, businesses and markets becoming better and better at just working their way around it. So uh, not to downplay the risk, but I think it comes to the same point about, you know, what what are markets already discounting? And at the end of the day, are we getting a net improvement or a net worsening from here? And I guess we fall on the side just of the optimists. Okay, and if you're falling on the side of the optimists, when do we start to see a pickup coming through in equities, Asian, US dollar bonds, which have lagged behind their peers? Well, I think from the Asian equity side, I think our view on China is sort of a key component of that. So I think we do start to see some of that outperformance come through. Actually, we had already started seeing Asian equity start outperform from May. They've just taken a bit of a backseat recently, again, because of COVID. And of course, we saw a bout of geopolitic, geopolitical tensions rise once again, which we know from longer history you know, usually tends to be short-lived. I think on the dollar bond side, it's sort of a similar trend. Uh, it's definitely more muted. But, you know, I think it's interesting that when you stack up Asian dollar bonds on a relative basis, they've still been one of the best performing dollar bond asset classes worldwide this year, um, which may not feel like it because of the soft absolute returns. Uh, but, you know, we still think that 
Asia dollar bonds, which is a majority investment grade asset class, uh, you know, the, the yields on that in the region of 6% are actually quite attractive for the credit quality on offer. And look, in the high yield part, there, you know, there clearly going to be some concerns from China's growth data and, of course, the property sector. But when you look at the broader asset class, I think the yield you know, more than makes up for some of the risks. And we think it's the yield, especially if you add it to a broader income basket, is what makes it quite attractive. Brand Preet, very quickly, 30 seconds. So directionally, are we expecting more weakness or are you in the offshore Chinese yuan? I think on balance, I'd be biased towards greater weakness in the short term. Uh, I think that's the direction, at least from the direction uh, from from where interest rates are going. Uh, but I think more of a shorter term technical move rather than a longer term change in trend, because uh, you know we also need to place that against the backdrop of where the dollar goes. If we indeed see the dollar turning into more range bound or potentially even peaking, uh, that might you know mean any weakness in the yuan could be relatively sh- you know, more a short term factor than a long term one. All right. Manpreet, always a pleasure. Thank you. Manpreet Gill is head of FICC strategy at Standard Chartered Private Bank, joining us from Singapore here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.